going to be looking at uh, Luke chapter 1 this morning. I'm going to ask us if we'll stand for the reading of, of the gospel. <clears throat> With verse 39, at that time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. The Lord bless his word to us. You can be seated. In many respects, Mary, the mother of Jesus, is a mystery to us. When she first appears in the Gospel of Luke, she comes out of nowhere. We're not told anything about her past, about her heredity. We don't know her tribe or the name of her father or her mother. We are told that she's engaged to a resident of Nazareth by the name of Joseph, but we don't know if her parents arranged the marriage as was customary at the time. In fact, we don't know if her parents are even alive, since they're never mentioned, either in Luke's gospel or anywhere else. We know nothing about them. We don't know if Mary was living with her parents at this time or with other relatives, like an older brother and his wife. We don't know Mary's age. We only know that girls were eligible to enter marriage as soon as they were physically capable of bearing children. We first learn of Mary with the appearance of the angel Gabriel. He informs her that she will conceive a child, and the child will be the Son of God. When Mary asks how this will be, the angel tells her that the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. That was explanation enough. When Mary heard this earth-shattering news, she didn't tell her fiancé. She may have hardly known him. Nor did she tell her mother or father or any relatives living in Nazareth. We're not sure how long she thought about it, but at that time, this is verse 39, literally that translates in those days, sometime later, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country to see her relative Elizabeth. We don't know why she went to see Elizabeth, who was a much older woman. Perhaps she, she just wanted to see for herself if what the angel said about Elizabeth was true. 
that this woman who had been incapable of having a child was now six months pregnant. Or perhaps Mary's own mother had died and Elizabeth was the closest thing she had to a mother. We don't know, but Mary, young, unmarried woman, unmarried women never traveled alone, packed up her things and traveled with haste, as the original language has it, to Elizabeth's. While we don't have any background information for Mary, we do know some things about Elizabeth. She was from the tribe of Levi and was the daughter of a priest. She was also the wife of a priest, which gave her special status in the first century. And we know that she was infertile and was, along with her husband, as the Greek text tactfully puts it, advanced in their days. I'm going to remember that one. (laughs) I'm advancing. (laughs) Mary entered Zechariah's home. We're not told if he welcomed her, if a servant let her in, or if she just walked in unannounced and surprised Elizabeth with her greeting. As soon as Elizabeth heard her young relative's voice, the baby she carried in her womb, whom we know as John the Baptist, moved. In fact, the word that Luke chose means to jump or leap or skip. And at the same time, Mary was filled with the Holy Spirit. She's the first person, chronologically speaking, in the entire New Testament said to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Did I say Mary Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit? As often happens in the scripture, the filling of the Holy Spirit is closely related to the way a person speaks. If you've never done this, it's a worthwhile study to explore how often and in what ways the presence of God's Spirit affects our words. When God's Spirit is present, a person's speech is altered. In a loud voice, Elizabeth spoke a blessing which is a fitting way for someone filled with the Spirit to speak. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Now, if you've grown up Catholic, you'll recognize that line, which is really a kind of poetry in Hebrew. You'll recognize it because you were taught to say, Hail Mary, full of grace, our Lord is with thee. Those are the words of the angel Gabriel earlier in this chapter, Followed by these words of Elizabeth, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Now Protestants like to point out that Elizabeth says, Blessed are you among women, not above women. But that's disingenuous. The scholar Leon Morris, a very Protestant scholar, Leon Morris explains that to say to someone you are blessed among women was a Hebrew way of saying you are the most blessed of women. But Catholics need to remember that Mary was not the first or only woman who was called the most blessed of women. Same words were spoken of Jael in the book of Judges. Now, Elizabeth also calls the child Mary will bear, literally the fruit of her womb, blessed. Indeed, he's not only blessed, he is the blessing. The one promised to Abraham in the past through whom All the peoples of the earth would be blessed. Notice verse 43. Elizabeth recognizes this unborn child as her Lord. But why am I so unfavored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? I know of no other place in sacred or secular literature where an unborn child's authority over a person is acknowledged in this way. The baby in Mary's womb had not yet reached 
the first trimester, the end of the first trimester, and yet Elizabeth confesses him to be her Lord. Now look at verse 44. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Not just leaped, but leaped for joy. Mary's child is the joy bringer. Years later, when the baby in Elizabeth's womb had grown into the man that we call John the Baptist, he would look at Mary's baby, grown into the Savior of the world, and say, joy is mine and is now complete. Joy is one of the themes of Luke's birth narratives. The word joy and rejoice, the words joy and rejoice appear five times in the birth narratives. The gift of this baby, the Lord, the Savior, He's called all those names the beginning of Luke. It's evidence that God has not forgotten his promises, that he's active, he's acting in our world. In the light of this extraordinary good news, it's reasonable for us to respond with joy, to rejoice. In our text, the near presence of Emmanuel caused the fetal John to become the festal John, to jump for joy. And you know what? Wherever Jesus went, even in his infancy, he had this profound effect on people. Some jumped for joy when he was around. They climbed trees and scuttled back out of them. They held parties and they laughed and they danced. But other people turned irritable when Jesus came near. They scolded and got preachy and high-minded, not to mention high-handed. The presence of the Godhead even when veiled in flesh, brings the truth about people out. That accords perfectly with what old Simeon said when he encountered the newborn Jesus in the temple courts. Simeon himself, moved to joy by the presence of Jesus, prophesied, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. All through his life, the mere presence of Jesus had a way of revealing people's innermost thoughts. Someday we're told that we'll stand before him in judgment and our innermost thoughts will just pour out who we really are. When Jesus comes near people, some of them jump for joy. May we be among them. You see, the secret is out. St. Paul let it out of the bag a long time ago. Jesus is coming near again. He will greet us, St. Paul says, with a shout that will cause people to jump for joy, to jump right out of their skins, to jump to heaven itself. We'll not all sleep, but we will all be changed. The word translated leap in Luke's gospel is used three times in the New Testament, all by Luke himself. But four times in the ancient Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Greek translation of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, uses this same word when the prophet writes, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings and you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. That set me wondering. Jesus was born in some sort of shelter used to stable animals. May well have been a cave. Later, probably two years later, when the Magi arrived with a caravan, camels and pack animals, 
I just wonder, in both those situations, did the animals in the stable or the ones in the caravan rear and jump and skip and leap for joy at the presence of this child, the joy bringer? Look at verse 45. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. The word be blessed here is not the same one that was used twice in verse 42. The word there has the idea of speaking well of a person, of saying a blessing over a person. But the word here has to do with a person's state of being. It means something like happy or fortunate or advantaged. It's the same word that begins each of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Happy, advantaged, are the meek, are the merciful, and so on. In this case, the person who is truly well off, who is blessed, is the person who has believed that what the Lord said will be fulfilled. Such people are blessed. They're happy. They're fortunate. They're happy and fortunate when the promise the Lord has made is fulfilled, but they're blessed even before that. They are blessed in anticipation of the fulfillment, blessed by believing even before they're blessed by seeing. That was true for Mary, but it's also true for us. It's a universal principle of the spiritual life. Blessed, happy, fortunate is the person who believes, and unblessed, unhappy, unfortunate is the person who does not believe what God has said. Sometimes what God says is very personal, individual even. God's message to Mary was his message to Mary, not to you or to me. In other cases, what God has said was spoken to all his believing people, including you and me. Blessed indeed is the person who believes that what God has said will be fulfilled. Let me give you some examples. The Lord Jesus himself said, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. That was said to God's people generally. We can claim that for ourselves. And those who believe it are blessed. Believing this word will change your life. But those who don't believe won't be blessed. They won't ask. They won't seek, and they certainly won't find. They will miss out on what God wants to give them, but not only that, they'll miss out on the adventure of living an interactive life with God now. Here's another word spoken to us. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Blessed, happy, fortunate is the person who has believed what the Lord has said. He'll be saved much anxiety and needless bustle. But even more importantly, he'll come to recognize his daily provision of goods, food and clothing, for example, for what it really is, a personal gift from his Father in heaven. Let me give a third example. The apostle writes, quoting the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, Don't take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Blessed is the man or woman who believes what the Lord has said. But cursed is the one who does not. The one who can't go a day without thinking of the wrong done. Whose mind is a continual storm of anger. Who suspects that God has treated him unjustly. The person who's believed that what the Lord has said will be accomplished can let it go. Be happy even, knowing that God will judge justly. 
but it's a different story for the one who doesn't believe. And we could go on and on and on. Blessed is the one who believes that what the Lord has said will be accomplished. Mary had believed. And she knew that she was blessed. But don't think of blessing as the absence of trouble. Mary had plenty of trouble. She left her hometown under a cloud of suspicion. Her baby was born in the most unhygienic conditions. Her family was poor. They were political refugees forced to leave their home, travel hundreds of miles by foot into a foreign country where her child spent his first years. She didn't know anyone there. She didn't know the language. She didn't know if they were ever going to be able to go home. And yet she was blessed, and she knew herself blessed. A person characterized by belief in what the Lord, not the theologians, not the preachers, but what the Lord says will be a person whose life overflows with praise and thanksgiving. Praise and thanksgiving is forced and artificial when it comes out of a sense of obligation. But it's a beautiful thing when it comes out of a heart that has believed that what the Lord says will be fulfilled. Mary believed, and her soul had become a living spring of praise and thanksgiving. Look at verse 46. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For, now let's stop there for a moment. The person who believes finds plenty of fours. Reasons to praise God. Whereas the person who does not believe has difficulty finding any. Mary found them in abundance. For he's been mindful. Verse 48. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Verse 49. And for the long list that follows, he's lifted up the humble, scattered the proud, brought down rulers, filled the hungry with good things. When a person believes what the Lord has said will be fulfilled, her or his soul glorifies, better, magnifies the Lord. The word that's used here means to make something larger to the senses. Like a magnifying glass makes something hard to see larger and clearer. Mary's soul had become a magnifying glass, making the character of God, his mercy, his power, clearer for everyone to see. Paul uses the same word when he wrote a letter to his friends in Philippi while he waited in a Roman jail for his sentence to be handed down. He wrote, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage now as always so that Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. The word the NIV has there is exalted is the same word that we have as glorified or magnified in Mary's song. Paul was absolutely determined that his life would magnify the character and power of God, would make God visible to the people around him, whether he was released or remained in prison or went to the gallows. Sometimes the magnifying glass of our life becomes dirty and clouded and people don't see God through us. Maybe your life's like that right now. Often the problem is that we have stopped believing that what the Lord has said will be fulfilled. If your life is not magnifying the character of God to the people in your family and to the people around you, see if you've given up 
believing some word that the Lord has spoken to you. Your blessedness might depend on you hearing that word again and believing it. But you have to know what the words the Lord has spoken are in order to believe them. From Mary's song, which covers verses 46 through 55, it's obvious that she knows God's word. Women in that time and place often did not receive formal education. Most didn't know how to read or write. But Mary's song is filled with biblical allusions. She had listened to what God said in the past. And that, you see, is why she could listen to what he was saying to her in the present. Some people want to hear the voice of the Spirit speaking to them, who never listen to the voice of the Spirit speaking to them through the Scriptures, and so they don't recognize him when he speaks. But Mary did. Now, different people, like there's a bunch of us here this morning, different ones of us will, will magnify different aspects of God's life and character. And it takes all of us. See, some people like Mary, their lives magnify his power and his mercy. Some like Paul magnify his righteousness and faithfulness. Some lives like Peter's magnify holiness and sovereignty. Some lives like mine magnify the patience of God. What does your life magnify? When all has been accomplished and Christ is returned to those who are waiting for him, our lives will be skillfully, artistically brought together, all of us, to provide a magnificent image of the wise, powerful, just, merciful, faithful, righteous, beautiful, peaceful, perfect God. On that day, God, as the apostle put it to the Thessalonians, will be glorified in you. Now, preliminary expressions of that image of God already exist in miniature in the local church. When we come together as God intends, which is why the unity of the church is so important to him, God becomes visible to people who've never seen him before. For the first time, they catch a glimpse of this wise, powerful, just, merciful, righteous, faithful, beautiful, peaceful, perfect God. But those are preliminary sketches. When Christ is returned and we have been perfected, as St. Paul loves to put it, when we have been heated by trials and polished by hardships and finalized, the biblical word is glorified, by resurrection, the result will be astonishingly magnificent. A masterpiece for which no words will ever be adequate. But an image of God, perfect in every way, has already appeared. That's what we celebrate at the holidays. At Christmas, the divine artist gave us a priceless, perfect gift, a self-portrait, which he titled Emmanuel, God with us. He didn't work in oils or watercolors or marble or wood. He worked in carbon-based molecules and monosaccharides and polysaccharides and proteins like amino acids. He worked in carbohydrates and lipids and DNA. In other words, he worked in the medium of flesh and blood. And he gave us the perfect representation of himself in human form. 
He's still working in that medium. You and I are works in progress. The church is a work in progress. But all of us will be measured against this child, this man, who is uniquely God with us. Through Mary, we get this glimpse into the artist's process. He prefers, for example, to work with the humble, as she understood. He doesn't want pride on his palate. It's too hard to work with. It's not pliable. It doesn't blend. So verse 51, he scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's working on a revelation of the most exquisite, perfect, awe-inspiring, beautiful subject of all, himself. And he's given us the one exact, reliable, flawless expression which was unveiled to the world in these words. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And that brings me back to the blessedness of those who believe what the Lord has said will be fulfilled. For here's what he said. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Blessed are those who believe that what the Lord has said will be fulfilled. Let's pray. Almighty God, reveal yourself to us afresh in the person of your Son, Jesus. Lord, may this Christmas, may we see and may our souls magnify the Lord. And where the magnifying glass of our lives have become dirty and dusty, I pray that you will clean us. And show the reflection of yourself through us. For Jesus' sake, amen.